Hello and welcome to the Science AAAS webinar, part of our ongoing series addressing important, timely and sometimes controversial topics that impact us all, but with a particular focus on the sciences. In today's webinar, we're talking about entrepreneurship, or what you need to know to start a business. Although the focus is going to be on scientific startups, much of the advice you'll hear today is, I'm sure, applicable more broadly to other businesses. My name is Sean Sanders, and I'm Director and Senior Editor for Custom Publishing at Science. Finally, thank you to Foundation Ibsen for sponsoring today's event and this series. Now, it gives me much pleasure to introduce today's panel to you. Uh, to my right is Dr. Xavier Dupotin from uh, Eligo Bioscience and Hello Tomorrow, uh, based here in Paris. Uh, next, we have Dr. Janice Limson from Rhodes University in Grahamstown uh, in South Africa. And finally, we have Dr. Bernhard Petzold, Petzold from uh, S-Biomedic in Antwerp, Antwerp in Belgium. Uh, thank you all so much for being here. Very much appreciated. Um, before we uh, get started, I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself to the audience and uh, tell them a little bit about what you do and what brings you to this webinar. So we'll start with you, Xavier. Right, so really happy to be here to talk about science entrepreneurship. So I'm a science entrepreneur. Uh, um, I've co-founded and now CEO of the company called Eligo Bioscience. I co-founded it during my PhD. Uh, it was back in 2014 uh, between uh, in RIA in France and MIT in Boston. And so we were basically doing genetic engineering of bacteriophage to modulate uh, with precision the microbiome. Uh, but I'm especially also very happy to be here because one of my other hat is to promote science entrepreneurship uh, with two uh, um, um, organizations I've created. One is Hell Tomorrow, probably the, the biggest science competition uh, uh, worldwide, and Deep Tech Founders, a program, training program for uh, uh, scientists who are just about uh, to get out of the lab to create their company. Fantastic. Janice. So I'm Janice Limson, Professor of Biotechnology at Rhodes University in South Africa. Rhodes University is in Grahamstown, which is the southeast of South Africa. And there we run the Biotechnology Innovation Centre. And this is really a new, well, we believe a new kind of way in which we train students in biotechnology, where we incorporate not just the research and, and the teaching, but we also look at aspects of innovation, entrepreneurship, as well as engaging communities. So we bring all of this into the higher education training space, and we're hoping that the students who graduate are better enabled to turn their research into, into products when they leave. And we're certainly hoping that we are creating the space for that to happen in, in universities. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you, Janice. Bernie. Hey. Um, I'm Bernie. I'm co-founder of S-Biomedic. Um, we basically bring direct modulation of the skin microbiome to address questions of skin health to the consumer. Um, I, I came the first time with the concept of a living pill uh, in, in touch during my PhD. And, uh, but it was not a, a spin-out as a classical sense from a university as biomedic. Instead, we, we, we took the vision and the ideas and created around as a completely new project. We used mobility to, uh, to fund it, and uh, as biomedic moved quite a bit around the globe. Uh, I'm currently the CSO, uh, as I'm the original scientist, and uh, we are very happy that we have Veronica as CEO, who's an uh, experienced economist uh, at the head of our company, uh, who manages all the investors and stakeholders, which is in itself uh, quite a task, as we will for sure later discuss. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you so much, Bernie. And it was completely accidental that both of you involved in microbiome work. Uh, no, it's the so hottest topic at the moment. It, That's it's, simply how it, it is. It's true. <laughs> so, certainly a lot of startups there. Um, so what I thought we'd begin with is to talk about the types of scientists to become entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm, my guess is that there's a number of scientists out there who are interested in becoming entrepreneurs, maybe just don't know how to do it, maybe think, I don't know enough to become an entrepreneur. So, um, I mean, all of you have experience. Janice, you work with, with students who become entrepreneurs. I'm sure you've had some success stories from your business. Um, and uh, Xavier, you, you have done it yourself as, as well as Bernie. So maybe you can each talk, maybe we'll start with you, Bernie, about the, the, the type of person that it takes to become an entrepreneur and what, what you should be thinking about. I, I think basically there's not one type that become an entrepreneur. You, you need to be a little bit daring, you need to be curious about something new, but I think most scientists are exactly that. I mean, that's why they got into science. They wanted to find something new, they wanted to go to, to new frontiers. And then there's many different trades because ultimately as an entrepreneur you need to have many different skills and you will be stronger in some of them and others and in my opinion one key aspect is that you um, 
find the right people in your team that complement your skills. Like uh, my CEO, she's an economist, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a scientist. It was clear we were lacking someone with that knowledge and either we had to build it up somehow or it was way better to get someone in who had it. Mm -hmm. huh? yeah. Well, from my side, um, I think the key ingredient is having passion. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it with all our students, is that as soon as they have an end goal for their research, the people for whom they can imagine, you know, who will use this product, they, you know, that passion galvanizes them to be, um, you know, to create their product and to turn that into, into something that will be beneficial. So I think having the passion, I think the rest of the skills you can, you can learn, but just having that passion and drive and I think that mindset, um, but I suppose the question is, is how do you create that? And that's exactly what we're hoping to do, you know, in our higher education space is to create those opportunities where students can imagine themselves in a different role. Right. So you can't necessarily create the passion, but you can give them the resources to... Absolutely, which might ignite a passion. So it's a... Great. Yeah. Right. Where do we start? And right. I think training in education is very important right. in that aspect. Right. So I think... Uh, you know, we always talk about startups when we talk about entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, the startup, I mean, an entrepreneur doesn't have to build a startup. It can be, uh, you know, it can, an entrepreneurial person, I think it's more about if the person is entrepreneurial. I mean, can he or can she, you know, gather people around a specific cause, whether it's a, an electronic party, whether it's a non-profit organization, where it's a, a startup to, uh, uh, to generate purely profit, a startup that will address a big uh, problem, uh, a social problem. So it's really about uh, more the, the person and the spirits and, and, the, the, and, so, and the passion behind it. It's like what do what if, if I want to do something that will involve other people for a greater cause mm -hmm. uh, and then as, as soon as you have this I think this defines the, the prototype of an entrepreneur that can drive a business forward mm -hmm. uh, in the case of a science startup it's uh, basically any type of uh, uh, work where you need to gather people uh, to achieve something mm -hmm. and entrepreneurship is all about team uh, uh, I think uh, and therefore, um, a scientist that really wants to achieve something, who can bring the right person to the table, whether he, she can be the CEO or whether they need to find a, a CEO or some other people, this is the type of person that will be needed to make sure that, uh, whether it fails or not, but at least the, the project um, starts and move forward. Mm -hmm. So that brings up a good point, and Bernie touched on this as well, is, is the, the, well, the question that I would ask is, does someone who wants to become an entrepreneur need to know everything? Or, or can they find those partners, somebody who maybe has the business experience? Um, so Bernie, what, what are your thoughts? You never need to know everything. I mean, you cannot know everything. That is the simple answer. But like, there's so much resources nowadays around with the internet, and, and every scientist learns it now, like get additional information. In. Uh, so I, I don't think you need to know everything, but you need to be aware of the, the concept of the, of, the, of the process. And we had a little bit up front the discussion. There's good books around like about lean startup, know your VCs. And, and, and it's worth to have a look in that. And then the most important is ask. Ask people. Like I ask so many people on the way. It's, uh, I, I hope they were not totally upset with me at the end, but I tried to really get input in from as many different sides as I could, not then just following the one, but like to get a picture. You know, I ask five people the same question and then try to build for myself a picture which is the most suitable for me in my situation. Huh? So what sort of questions do you ask? Oof, uh, very good question. Like, very generic sometimes. I, I had some friends there, uh, they themselves created businesses, but very distinct around engineering services. And they, I, I just asked them business questions. How do I deal with that my competition is blooming up and that there's more? And like, you know, and then you just get some comforting words, you know. Actually, it's a good thing because if you're alone in that business, obviously it's not going to, <laughs> to be that interesting. Um, sometimes very specific questions, like uh, I ask a lot of questions around my product. Is this, like I ask guys from pharma, and this is of course a very thin line at the beginning where you, you need to bring your ideas forward, but you ask them, the guys, do you think this will fly? Where, where do you think is the weak point of that? And, and then you will get different answers depending on it. And in our field, for example, there's one question is, what we're doing, is that going to be a cosmetic or is it going to be a drug? And there is no definite answer for it. It's, it's very funny. It's like as many people as you ask, you will hear different answers. But you can learn from it on the way and you can identify what will be the big bottleneck up front. Even if you go against someone says, this is not going to fly because of this and this. If you find out why, how you can solve that problem, you can still try going for it. 
huh? but you are aware that this is going to be a huge problem. Mm -hmm. huh? and, and, and typically, the, this question will come up as soon as, and this is, I think, very important, is to shift the, the mentality and the way you address a problem from a technology point of view, because as scientists, we love technology. We just think that our technology will change the world, will solve this problem, but it's not the technology itself. It's the product that is uh, coming from this technology. And so as soon as, and, and this is a very hard transition, huh? even, you know, it's been five years, I'm, I'm, I'm CEO of the company and I still love technology. And I think, you know, my God, when we have great <laughs> results in technology, I'm like, oh my God, this is gonna change the world. No, 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 it's much harder than this. It's really transitioning from a pure technology point of view to really, okay, this is technology that works in a lab in a confined environment with the parameters are all known. But if I want to make a product that will really solve this problem, then I need to ask much different questions. Mm. And these are the questions that then will start to come up. It's like, okay, I need to find who my customers are. I need to find who's going to uh, uh, invest in this, what the regulation, uh, uh, you know, who I need to, uh, uh, to, to, to bring around this idea to transform this technology into product. And these are stuff, then, and then you start asking questions. And then the most important that you are always humble, especially in science, mm -hmm. because you know, when you're in the lab, 95, 99% of what you're doing, at least what I was doing, was failing. Right. Uh, and, then, and this is in the lab, so it's much easier than making something work you know, in a human. And so you need to stay super humble to make sure that all these questions, you know, you never say, oh, it's going to be easy, it's going to work, but say, no, it's super hard. And I, you have to accept that it's going to be super hard. And you need to ask this question. You need to ask as many people as possible for their advice, what they think, only take five, 10% of this advice. Uh, uh, but at least it just, you know, it opens up a lot of things, uh, uh, especially when you start, you're a new, uh, uh, young, not in age, but in experience and entrepreneurship, it will, it will start to open uh, in your mind some question that you never thought about. Right. And sometimes you're not, you don't have the skills to, to, to answer them. And as I say, you know, my job as a CEO is just to find smarter people that have better skill than me to replace me, uh, to replace what I'm doing, which is not the best way to do it, and then make a better company than if I was doing all these things. Right. So what happens if you are hearing from people, say, like Bernie said, you go to a number of people and you say, will this product fly? And they all say, no, this is not what uh, we think will, will be good in the market, but you believe in it. Where do you draw that line between pushing through with what you believe and listening to the advice that other people give you? Xavier? I think so we heard it a lot. I think you know, the microbiome space is a really complex space. Uh, we don't know a lot about it. It's, it's very hyped, but we still don't know almost nothing about it. Uh, and so a lot of people say it's never going to work. So I think uh, when people say it's not going to work, just uh, often they don't have the whole context or, 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 or sometimes you don't have the whole context neither. So I think it's always trying to really figure out what they know that you don't know and what they don't know that you know. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, trying to not stop at it's not going to work, but try so tell me why it's not going to work and then go as deep as possible as a good, you know, scientific, scientist to go really try to see what is the path of thinking that make them think that, you know, it's not going to work and then compare it with you and you can you have to be humble but you also have to be uh, you know uh, uh, kind of uh, sure about things that you and only you know about your technology uh, and then you know weigh the, the 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 pros and cons and sometimes they are true they are right and then you have to adjust and this is you know often you know there is no plan a you know the company the product works after many iteration after changing routes uh, and it's never never nothing works i think according to the first plan right. yeah. Yeah. I've seen this with some of our students as well, where they sought advice early on about a product, you know, they went outside. And, you know, so unfortunately they spoke to somebody who knew a lot about the regulatory frameworks and they said, oh, it'll never pass because of this, this and that, right. you know. And so the students were quite deflated for a while. And I said, mm -hmm. well, these are not insurmountable issues, you know, just go around them, find out the information that you need to know. And, you know, they just needed to change that approach. I think it was healthy for them to go up and, and realize that there might be issues further down the line, but mm -hmm. they could plan for them. And so I think that that was quite, quite useful. Mm -hmm. So the negative there was, um, they turned into positive. Right. Yeah. 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 I totally second that. You need to ask why. And then like when you, when you are aware of a problem, uh, uh, then, then map it in. Uh, right. See it as something. Can you solve it? If you feel like, yes, we, we're going or yeah, uh, regulation is going to change, then uh, go for it. Map it. Mark it's it a, as a risk. Yeah. Uh, 
And sometimes you can even reinforce your product or your idea because you, you, you discover challenges that are really there. And if you can solve them, then it gives you a huge competitive advantage. Right. Yeah. And so I think this is this is this can be yeah, turned into positive. Yeah. Or it's like you go to people and they tell you this is never going to work, and you ask them why, and then they, they tell you the thing, and you know it back in your head. Yeah, this is exactly what our secret sauce is. Our secret sauce is solving this why. Then you're on the right track, because huh? like you can also ask them, would it be interesting if we if we wouldn't have this problem? Right. And then so Genesis, as far as Talking to students um, who are going to go uh, into entrepreneurship or you hope are going to go into entrepreneurship, um, what do you talk to them about as far as the mistakes that they could make? You know, how, do you, how do you help them avoid the sort of typical mistakes that an entrepreneur would make? Um, okay, so what we've done is we've brought in as many different people from, you know, from entrepreneurship training, from business school, mm -hmm. um, people from outside. And we give them opportunities to do kind of like Dragon's Den, you know, where they've mm. got to pitch their ideas. We enter them in entrepreneurship competitions. So we kind of we create the space as if they would be um, developing a product with a team of people. So we do try to do that kind of role play. Mm -hmm. And we're quite fortunate at our university to have a technology transfer office. And they do a lot of that, you know, lead, take the lead on a lot of that training. In fact, in South Africa now, um, most universities will have access to that. So this is quite, quite important, quite a, quite a big jump. But in terms of mistakes, I think that they need to speak to the market. And we've discovered this with um, some of our research making um, nanofiber-based um, water filtration units. Um, the, the molecules that we were adding um, needed light to activate them. Mm -hmm. And in t talking to, the, to their market, you know, um, as the future customers, they realized that certain market segments were quite concerned about um, this device being seen um, for various reasons they were concerned about it. You know, people seeing that they had such a device, maybe due to theft, and so they wanted it completely covered. So they went our business model, you know. So um, they had to then just think about ways in which we could still um, remove bacteria um, under dark conditions. So that was an important lesson. And so um, for a lot of our research, students um, at the start of their masters or their PhDs, they build in speaking with speaking with the market so that they can start envisioning the end user mm -hmm. as well, but they get the localized perspective that can help inform the research so that they're heading down the right pathway to where they can meet the, you know, the society in terms of product. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I hope that through that we, we try to avoid quite a lot of costly right. <laughs> mistakes. So this comes to, you know, as well as talking to other people who are entrepreneurs or in business is going to your market and, and asking them what they think of the product. And, um, when, when would you normally do that? It sounds like in this case, Janice, it's quite early on that they did it. So, okay. so Olivia, you know, do you have any advice for, for an entrepreneur? When, when would they talk to people who they, th who, uh, they think might be using their product? I think as, as soon as possible. Okay. Really, I think it's as soon as possible because uh, the, 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 the more you're still in your scientific bubble and technology bubble, mm -hmm. uh, the more you're going to create specific, I mean, specs of what your technology that might just be uh, uh, good in your own idea of the world, but not at all the idea of the customer. And so as soon as possible. So I know it, uh, universities can be quite some time and TTO can be say, okay, we do, you don't go talk about it before the patent is written and stuff. Right. So, uh, which, which is, I mean, it, it's, it can be just a you know, couple of weeks or uh, mm -hmm. if the TTO is, 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 is efficient. But uh, uh, then I think, you know, it's all about then execution. Uh, I think when you have an idea, especially then if it's patented, uh, um, I think just go talk as much as possible uh, um, um, to the right person uh, and, 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 and get feedback as, as, as soon as possible. So it will help, well, it will prevent potentially some mistakes on the product market fits. And I think then uh, there is no, so you have a lot of great books that you have to read uh, as, you know, um, as the basic knowledge about entrepreneurship, you know, how to talk to VC, when to raise funding. I mean, you have lots of literature. But then I think one thing where you cannot, and there's not a magic formula, is really on mistakes, on big decisions you have to take, you know, human decisions or, 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 or uh, of things like this, where it's so personal and so related to who you are, who you are, uh, that uh, th the best way I think for me is really to to discuss with al as many other possible person, and this is what we've incorporated into a deep tech founder, the training program where people are coming just to talk about their own personal experience rather than saying this is how it should be done, or uh, so that uh, they don't give this recipe. 
to the students, but they say, okay, this is, we give them, this is what everything has been done. It worked for this person, it didn't work. This person did that, this, this. And then they can, then the whole, the, the role of the entrepreneur is really to, uh, to, to really create links between all these uh, 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 feedbacks, uh, stories, and adopt, adapt them to himself or herself to, and try to make the best decision. But mistakes are fine. And, and you know, I think basic mistake can be avoided by reading, being curious, talking to people. And then uh, we should be, uh, actually, I'm really, some mistake that I did really made me grow as an entrepreneur. And probably if I hadn't made this mistake, the company wouldn't be what it is today. We shouldn't be afraid of mistakes. Right. Yeah. So I was actually going to ask you, um, maybe, well, specifically you, um, Xavier and, and Bernie, if you can think of one particular mistake that you made or, or something that you wish you'd known uh, when you started. So many. <laughs> uh, um, so I think um, you're always hired too late. Uh, this is something important. I mean, I mean, right now this is, you know, what I'm, you know, because we raised uh, some money and, and we, we did not really hire as fast as we could have with all, the, all this money. And I think this is typically something really important. Hire as, as much uh, as, 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 as fast as possible before you really need the thing because uh, the, the person and the skills. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this, so it's not really, I mean, it, it is a mistake that can really uh, 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 delay some, some you know, progress, mm -hmm. whether it's on the science or on the business side. Um, uh, negotiations always take very long, uh, I, but I guess again, like it's it's too many mistakes actually to count it. Like uh, it's 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 usually the uh, at least my life of an entrepreneur is a is a constant ups and downs. You know, there's days you get up, you know, and uh, things look bright and you made the biggest success. At lunchtime, you get hit with a bunch of bad news and you think, oh my god, everything is going down the drain. And in the evening, you're up again uh, and because everything turned out well. So it's, it's a lot of ups and downs, but like, yeah, uh, big thing is like we quite often when we negotiated, people always said, yeah, we can be fast. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it once or twice and usually it just took a lot, a lot longer than what we expected. Huh? So negotiations with, with whom? Uh, with your investors ultimately quite often. Uh, that's, uh, or general, I think collaboration agreements and you want to do it proper, it, it, it takes ages. One, I think one mistake because you know right now we're it's it's fantastic that there is this wave entrepreneurship this change of culture in the science uh, especially you know in Europe compared to the US we are a bit less entrepreneurial uh, and so it's it's coming up but I think one mistake that I see in a, a, a lot of typically the the, the the teams of students who want to start company through through the deep tech founder program is that they really want to incorporate the company as soon as possible mm. yeah. and. I mean, I think they should stay in the lab as long as possible. Mm. Uh, because as soon as you're out of the lab you have, and you start, you incorporate your company, then all the, I mean, all, yeah, a lot of bad things happen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then it's, uh, I, I second to that, like we actually were driving it quite a long time as a project. It was always a question, uh, how should we do it? But it enabled us actually to get uh, quite some interesting funding in uh, government grants for which we were not allowed to incorporate. And only then when we really got outside investment, we actually had business angels investing in us before we were incorporated. And only when we, when we got the, the, the first bigger, bigger sum in where everything had to be, because uh, it was a corporate investor at that point actually, then uh, it was clear, okay, now we are forming the company. And it was good because it, it, then looking back, it would have been a mistake to do it at all these things because like changing all these, you know, it, it, it's a process around their legal requirements, formal requirements that I was not so aware how much hassle and money you can burn in that. Uh, so it was good to only create that then. If the university or your lab can support it, I think it would be, it's, it's so important to do. And if you look at startup studio in the US and Boston area, this is what the, how, how, how they, they operate is really try once you know that you can, well, once you know, once you're convinced yourself that uh, after having done market research and a lot of discussion that, you know, this is your first product. This is the first thing I need to address devise the, the most critical experiments to, to validate or not mm -hmm. whether it's going to work. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid of postponing it because, you know, if you say, ah, yeah, uh, just wait a bit longer, it means that, you know, you know it's going to be tough. But the sooner you have this answer, 
just the sooner you can say, okay, either it's a, it's maybe a good idea, but it's not the time. There are other constraints, or the experiment doesn't work for this, 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 and then you stop it, and then you have to, you, you do something else mm -hmm. instead of you know starting incorporating and then just having a company surviving uh, on on for for long because you're just not hitting this clear inflection uh, value inflection point where where whether you validate your basic uh, uh, hypothesis behind the whole company. We actually at, at Rhodes, um, what we've been trying to do is um, when we see that there are students who've got ideas they can turn into a product is we, we open up lab space for them mm. to continue to develop, you know, to get to the pre-prototype stage. And then importantly, we also find funding for those students to live <laughs> because, you know, yeah, um, important. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we have I've received funding from all over the world for certain projects and students, no strings attached funding, which was wow. amazing, just to get those students' ideas to go forward. So it is that safe space. It's still close to your old university equipment, the high-end equipment, so you can go backwards and forwards a little bit. Right. You know, so it's one leg in and one leg out. You know, so as you said, for as long as you can stay close to the university before you go out there, um, you know, I think that's quite good. So that you're absolutely certain about your product. So that's been quite important for our students is that space um, that sits alongside the university because too much just falls off the table in terms of research. And it's hard to catch that and to create that enabling space. And I would think it's, it's less costly to do it that way than to push into a, a corporation and then have to get building space, rent or buy equipment, that sort of thing to, to then go and prove. Sure. You do your validation. And the, if this, but so if you stay in the lab, you have to make sure that you don't completely stay in the lab. It's like mm -hmm. you you are in the lab to do the experiments, but your mind is you know your your hands are on the pipettes <laughs> in the lab, but your mind has to be outside, has yeah. to be where you know the, the in in the in, in the real world. Mm -hmm. Academic space is a cocoon, and you need to go outside and and and, and face the the real business world. Otherwise, you're going to make experiment that will just. Uh, Help, you know, convince even yourself even more that what you're doing is great and is the best thing in the world. And we talked earlier about speaking to the customer. This does not necessarily always need to be just the, the customer in the shop. You know, your, 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 your customer can be the VC that needs to give you money. So like go early out to a VC and, and present this idea and you know, don't, don't be, of course you don't want to like write down all the details and send it around in unsolicited right. emails, you know, that's also the wrong thing. Huh? But like you, you need to early go out and speak with people about it. And when they tell you, no, we won't give you money, then ask them, what kind of data would you need uh, to be convinced and invest in me? And, and then you basically get like, when you do this, you, you, at some point you crystallize out what are these key experiments that you mentioned, uh, these key validations that you need. And then go back to the lab and try to get these, these points in because they will bring you forward. And then once you have the data on hand, you can go back to the VCs and because it takes a long time. So you build up early the relationship and you always ask them for advice and then you go back and say, by the way, we now have this data here. How is it looking? Huh? And, so, yeah, and, and I think we, we touched base on, on, on this concept also earlier is never go, never, you know, if it's a VC, if it's a key opinion leader, mm -hmm. if it's a, a customer, never go just talk to one person because mm -hmm. Yeah. This person is very likely, you know, wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and this happens, you know, so many times, you know, it even happened to us for one of our projects. We're like, oh, we're with the one key opinion leader. He will tell us and say, yeah, you should do this, this. We're like, oh my God, this is so cool. This is exactly what we're doing. And then we said, oh, uh, actually, we met with another one at the conference. Say, why are you doing this? I said, mm -hmm. well, you know, it, it, it made sound, it made sense. And yeah. we had validation. I said, no, no, no. It doesn't, to me at least, it doesn't at all make sense. And so then, so you, you need to really have, again, this a breadth of feedback, mm -hmm. not from a single person. Because mm -hmm. you're going to go, obviously, to the person, to the customer VC that you're the closest to often. And it's often then if you have a relationship with, with them or, uh, you know, if it's a friend of your parents that is in pharma, whatever, is not going to trash you. It's right. going to, you know, you're going to always have these things. So you want to go and talk to people person, yeah. that are going to tell you, go back, this is really crap. Right, uh, yeah, you need that honesty. Yes, you need yeah. honesty yeah. completely. Because yeah. I think it's, it's just as bad um, to have somebody say, yes, this is fantastic when it's not, as to say this is terrible yes. when it's not. Yes, yeah. yes. So, so I, it's interesting, I'm seeing actually a lot of parallels with science, uh, with academic science. So what Bernie was just talking about, going to VCs, it's very much like publishing a paper. You know, you, you'll submit it, they'll say you need these and these and these experiments 
in order to publish and you need to go back and do them. So uh, the reason I say this is that a lot of these processes are not unfamiliar to scientists. It might be a different aspect of it uh, in a different space. But I would say sometimes yeah. people that review your papers can be competitors. And, <laughs> and, and the same in the, same in, in, in the VCs, market. Right? Yeah, right, but I think... Uh, yeah. Maybe not with VCs. But, but VCs yes. should not be your competitors, but right, I, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, you have to go back and make sure that it's as good as possible. But sometimes also, you know, you have some VCs, I think, that ask a lot, and you can find other VCs that might ask, you know, probably uh, d depending on the risk-taking of the VC, you know, if they're, mm -hmm. you know, good VCs and with serious, you know, we, who know what they're talking about. You have some VCs that might, or, or customers, you know, it can be pharma or whatever, uh, that will, you know, ask you all this and you will be focusing just on solving this exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas you can have, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you, you would focus all your effort for that. Whereas, you know, maybe uh, for the strategy of the company, it might be necessary actually to just to get this, that would be enough that might you know, for another VC, another pharma, that might be enough. And then you can spend some other time doing other stuff. So it, you should really have, uh, meet as many, you know, customer VCs, farm as possible and try to see what makes sense. You know, how much work you need to dedicate to please what they want for you, from you. What makes sense with your uh, long-term vision for the company. Mm -hmm. right. Maybe to pick you up on this parallel to the peer review, Yes, there is some, but there's one fundamental difference. And that is in the peer review process, uh, I go in and the people that review me, I don't know who that is. I get them randomly assigned and I never usually find them out who they are. And one can now argue about the flaws or whatever of the system, but um, the and really important thing for an entrepreneur is you, you know who you go to. So like do your homework actually, and it's a really important homework research a little bit the people because then the information they give you you can put in the context you know if i'm talking to a hardcore pharma guy and he says the only way you're going to be successful with this product is if we make a drug out of it and i know where this comes from and and i can listen to his arguments but i know it's also biased by by his approach huh? and uh the the same thing when i then go to a vc i can for example sort out vcs that invested in my competitors i i, I had that situation and and where you just say like we're not going there it's great they have a, they obviously have a big interest in that, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's too risky to, to send the, our, our slide deck. Huh? Uh, and then you can interact with the person. Yeah. And then you have the human part, which is often really hard with the, uh, in the review exactly. part, where it's, you, you write response, but there is no understanding of the person. Exactly. And it's entrepreneurship is so much about the person too. Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes you don't understand where is this question coming from? Why is he asking? Well, if you would know the background, you would know, ah, that's why it's coming from. Eh? And, and, and it makes a lot more sense. So it, use this opportunity, you know? It's you need to have frustration tolerance. That is where I see the biggest parallel. You need to be ready for, for uh, quite some downturning and uh, knocking a lot of doors, you know, like... Uh, that's another parallel with science. I think exactly. There's, there's that is, I think, is total there. Uh, uh, and how to, how to get up and how to yeah. keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Often scientists, I think, are, can be uh, 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 more equipped to become entrepreneurs in the sense that we know what failure is. But I think, interestingly, when it's failure in this in in their scientific work, I think uh, scientists are, tend to be more tolerant. But when they get into entrepreneurship, they're so easily uh, dissuaded, you know, after one or two failures. So I, you know, I I think maybe Janice, and then if you see this, is you know you. Uh, how do you train scientists to to think about entrepreneurship the same way they think about their science? I think one of the problems we um, we've realised is that you know we do everything quite duplicate, right? Mm -hmm. And we, as scientists, we're overcritical. I mean, we train to be critical of our data, so we see it, but you know, we question, you know, our hypothesis. Maybe it's as a result of this or that. Is it really true? So um, that mindset for our students, um, um, I think, is. I think in a way just stand them in, in good stead mm -hmm. um, for going out there as you just said Xavier. Um, but in terms of how to to you know train them um, for that failure I think it's really just to, to expose them to it mm -hmm. and so um, as you were saying earlier on you know talk to as many people as possible so I think it really just comes down to um, comes down to that kind of training education, yeah, yeah and the education. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to just stay with you the other thing I've been thinking about is um, uh, so when you're doing, when you're involved in entrepreneurship, you need to sell in some sense. You need to market yourself and your ideas. 
Um, and historically, scientists are not known to be very good at that or maybe are, are not so comfortable in that space. So how do you talk to them about being able to get up in front of a VC and say, this is my passion, this is what I do, and, and, and at a level that um, maybe somebody who's not an expert in their area can understand? I think the, th the, the, the key bottom line is to have um, faith in your product. Mm -hmm. So um, as you were just discussing, knowing what your product is going to solve is going to be quite important in building confidence in you know, talking to a VC. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned, we are quite super critical as scientists of our research. And at Early on, I've noticed some of my students were over-designing. They wanted their product to do absolutely everything. And so um, this was limiting their ability to go and pitch the idea. Or when they were pitching the idea, they were noting that, you know, there were these problems, we can't do this and we can't do that, or, or it doesn't work under these conditions. And so they, you know, naturally, sort of that scientist inclination was coming into the equation. And so deciding and you know what problem it is going to solve and get rid of the frills it doesn't have to do absolutely everything it can solve just this problem you know this problem get started get into the market pitch it to the vcs you know and i think just understanding that and having the confidence in your product early on helped has certainly helped right. helped our students Great advice. And I, I, you know, you mentioned Dragon's Den uh, earlier, and, and one of the things that I've seen on that program is when somebody comes with all of these ideas, and you know, the, the, the dragons will often ask, well, what is your primary idea? What is your primary focus or your primary market? And I think that's very true. We, we wanted to do everything, but if you focus on one thing first... Yeah. So. That will limit them um, in terms of actually making the jump out into the market. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you, you know, just getting out there, getting a toe in, you know, you can learn early on and then add on the other bits and bubbles to make it something else. And I, I completely agree. The, uh, the going out and maybe a, a mistake that scientists don't do enough is to listen. And so, you know, when you give a pitch, the first time scientists, when you, and this is what I did, you talk about your technology and you see this does not really excite people. And, you know, you don't have to go to a VC to start, you know, learning how to sell. You go to your grandmother, you go to your <laughs> wife, your uh, even kids, and you start talking about technology. And then they will, and it's, and then we're going to the scientific communication realm, right. right? Where then they will not get excited because they will not understand. But if you if you can listen to the uh, uh, as, as a human, the, how the person reacts. I mean, I say listen, but understand how they react. Mm -hmm. Then you can start to. I, I would recommend basically to start to tweak a bit your. Your, your pitch to talk more about something to which the people can relate. So something mm -hmm. more about, you know, the problem you're solving. And then people will start to ask questions. And, you know, if you start to, to do this more and more and more, you will know how to trigger emotions in people so that, you know, after often after, if people have very short attention span, after two minutes, if they're not triggered emotion, they will just, you know, not listen at all. And then you will start to, to, to get this and understand. And this is how then you can build your pitch is about, triggering the emotion in people to make them want to hear more. And then this is, I think, a feedback because as soon as you start doing this, then you say, hey, he likes what I'm doing, so I'm going to start doing it more. And then you get excited. And then I think this is a way to make people who are a bit shy or too technology focused, then start to understand and change their, again, their mentality from technology products, problem solving, and start to see that this is what people want. It's a problem in solving. It's not For me, one of the, of the biggest things was actually being part of Startup Chile. Like, it's an incubator program in Chile, and uh, they gave us our first funding. But the main experience for me was being in a co-working space with 100 other startups, most of them IT, and they're all hyped. Some were quite experienced, and they really knew what they were doing. Um, some were youngsters, you know, we, we as a biotech were a little bit the odd ones, but you had regular these pitch competitions and you saw what is possible, you know, like, I mean, I, I still remember the first pitch we gave on the first day there. I had my three slides prepared, you know, and I was going through them and I, and I saw the other pitches and I was just going, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> and, but uh, by halfway through the program, we had improved this pitch. It looked so different and we really started catching up with these super dynamic things. And, and all this, what you mentioned, like how do we interact with the people? How do we trigger their emotions? It comes also back to do your homework when you go to a VC, you know, like you want to find out where can you 
trigger them or something. Huh? But it, this is what we really learned there. So for me, being huge part was being part of the startup network uh, for six months, which we were there. And I think this uh, initiative you're doing here is, is a great thing. Huh? And uh, incubators are, are a really great part. We are now JLabs in, in Belgium is also a, another great thing. Huh? But I think what you do and you do where you put them all together, this is the right thing. This is how you, you need to create the group dynamics where you yeah, see your peers doing that. It's yeah. really important, I think, for scientists also not to think that storytelling equals bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I can say this one <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, but this is really important because often when we, you know, and it's not because you're telling a story. Right. As long as the data behind and what you sell is, is, is real and solid, mm -hmm. there is no problem and there is no, it's not, uh, yes, it's not giving the Nobel Prize presentation where you go into the details because it's just adapting to your audience. Right. Uh, uh, and this is the most important probably mistakes also is really adapting to your audience. When you're talking about what you're doing is adapt to your audience. Uh, uh, you, it's like, you know, in a discussion, you send a message and the person in front of you, depending on who she is, will not get the, the same interpretation at all of what you're sending. Mm -hmm. and. You can tell a beautiful story with fantastic data behind it and, and, and convince people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think now we have seen some startups telling, you know, beautiful stories with no data behind mm -hmm. uh, and with, and so, you know, big failures that, that uh, well, I would say failures because the th nothing was working and it was not true, but this should not uh, give, I think, the, the wrong images to scientists. Like when someone tells a story, a science entrepreneur tells a story, well, maybe he's not talking about a lot of data, but the, the few points he says are backed by solid data, right. and this doesn't diminish at all the science part of it. Right. Right. Now, I think that's a very important part of, of science communication, and I think it's, uh, it's obviously a critical part of entrepreneurship, is how to, how to speak to different audiences. And you're going to talk to a VC very differently to how you might talk to somebody who might become your CSO that you're trying to bring on board. Um, you know, going into the how much detail you actually go into. So, so. what we're doing um, as well, just to touch on that, is mm -hmm. we're training our students as well because we realised this early on is that communication is absolutely key, um, and you know a lot of this kind of soft skills and how to speak. <laughs> you know, scientists with their pipettes in the lab. You know, you don't get to meet those pu the public. You don't get to meet um, right. enough people out there with specific problems or challenges. And so we started training our students early on in how to communicate. So it's actually embedded. So as I said, it's not just a research and teaching and, you know, it's a t entrepreneurship, but it's also engagement. So um, anything from science writing to, well, we put them in, you know, opportunities to do radio presentations as well, um, video presentations. They, are, they also learn other skills such as animation. So, you know, there are multiple ways in which you can get your message across. And I think putting that into the education program prepares our students in a different, in a different way. Mm -hmm. And we're certainly finding that um, when, you know, sure, you can look at the, at the community or, um, you know, a public as the market, but it's also, uh, it's, you know, it's so much more than that. We're finding that our students, once they realize that the research they're doing might actually result in something that's going to change people's lives fundamentally, they become a lot more galvanized to actually do research that will lead towards that. Mm -hmm. Some of them, for example, were not necessarily even <coughs> thinking of being entrepreneurs, but in talking and community and communicating and engaging, that kind of passion was, was you know, ignited, ignited absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we saw that um, with several of our students in different kinds of, of processes, different, you know, even simple just engagement in just, you know, speed data scientist activities where you get to meet the public for a few minutes. Even in those opportunities, the students who just see themselves as students suddenly thought themselves as, oh, I'm a scientist, you know. So in that space, they started, they started acting like a scientist, thinking like right. a scientist and thinking, hmm, I can, I can do this, you know. And then I could become an entrepreneur. I, I could become yeah. an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So I'm, I, there's a couple of other topics that I, I want to touch on before we, we finish. And uh, we have about 15 minutes left of the webinar. So I, I want to make sure to address these. And, and we haven't talked at all about intellectual property. So this, I think, is a really important part of, of uh, entrepreneurship. So the question that I have is, how can someone start educating themselves about the ins and outs of intellectual property and making that decision of whether to patent something or not? Because I think it's an important one. So Janice, I know we, we talked before the webinar about, especially in resource-poor environments like parts of South Africa, um, maybe South America, even, you know, I guess, all over the world, there's resource 
poor areas. Um, when scientists are thinking about whether they should go through that patenting process, what are some of the considerations? Well, cost is the first consideration. So in South Africa, um, we have got an organization called NIPMO that part funds patents. So the university um, can have a budget and decide you know, which um, X number of patents can go through. But you can't, you can't patent everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so if you do not have enough money um, you know, to patent, we had to think about whether we're going to pay, um, protect in, in the market or protect our intellectual property in countries um, with a manufacturing capacity. So obviously we chose, we chose the market, it was the easiest. And we, a lot of our research focuses on early di- di- disease um, diagnosis. So um, we're making new molecules for detecting um, Plasmodium falciparum and so we looked and saw where that was a big, the biggest issue. So we looked at that market. Mm-hmm. And um, we needed to be savvy about that because there was only so much funding available. Mm-hmm. And, and that also helped us to, to also understand our market a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Bernie, could you talk about your experience with S-Biomedic? Yeah. It's, uh, it's a tricky business. Um, we ourselves, when we were in Startup Chile, we, at the end we had our first data together and we had our, what we call at that point, proof of concept, although this, we reused that word multiple times in our time now. Um, and um, we decided, because for us in biotech, it is a fundamental part to gain more, more funding. We decided to make a provisional patent in the US. So first thing, we were lucky. They, the, the lawyers, they were a very famous law company, but they had startup discounts. I also know some lawyers actually um, also based in the US, but you need to be, have access to, to patent there. They work sometimes even for shares in the company. Uh, I, I've heard uh, individuals who, who told me that they could realize that. So that's a way to ditch a bit the patent cost, but overall the money is, is well invested. Like it was a major hit for our small budget which we had in Startup Chile, but I, it is one of the money I, I never regretted to have spent. It was one of the best investments we've made. Uh, simply because it's such a fundamental part of the business. Mm-hmm. When is the right moment to patent? I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's tricky. You need to look that at yourself. You need to see how far can you, can you push it. But when you go for it, go fully for it. And then you have a certain grace period in some countries. You can make a provisional patent application or uh, um, a kind of that will disappear again. Like in the US, it's most straightforward with a provisional which you can hand in. And even if you don't convert it later, it will disappear again. So it, except the money that you spend on the patent lawyer, it is, it is um, a few hundred dollars if you're a small entity. So it's, these ones really make sense to do that early because they secure you the priority date, what later is. And then you have one year to find out, is someone going to give you money for that? If an investor gives you money with this patent, you know, then it's worth to spend the money, you know, and take it to the national faces later and, and see. But there's quite a, a time gap. If you take a provisional and all the other stages, you have like quite nearly three years until you need to make the decision for the national phases. And that when the cost hit. Yeah. Uh, before the national phases, I don't want to say it's cheap because it's not, but it's comparably cheap. Uh, it's, it's relative. Xavier, uh. any, any thoughts? So one of the mistakes because that we are head of IP, we hired her too late. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, but I mean now it's fantastic. Uh, I think on patents, you know, so you can read a lot to know. I mean there are a lot of strategies on, online. I think this is now there's so much resource. People should really look at this resource. Should talk to people who have. You know, typically we we in our training we get also we have special you know uh, part about patenting where we get people uh, uh, who have been in companies IP head of IPs from different companies that come and give examples you know because you can read and this is really boring I mean IP classes are really boring but if you have someone that actually tells you okay we did take this strategy for this and this purpose then it starts to become uh, uh, exciting and stimulating to really see that it's a strategy as important as your business, as your you know product strategy, and you if you take IP as a as something really complex that will that has implication on all your business, and that you see you have to protect again this person, but this is going to be for move forward freedom to operate. Then it's really a strategy game, mm-hmm. um, and then what I think people don't do often, and <clears throat> it's a lot we, we invest in a lot in this at Eligo, is also to really spend some time looking at what's already been done. 
a lot. And I think a lot of patents are filed uh, uh, used, uh, and are useless because they're filed and the literature search has not been thorough enough. Mm. Uh, you spend you know, half an hour instead, instead of spending, um, spending half a day on looking at what's already out there, whether it's in the patent database or the publication database, and, and that would save you money and time. And I think this is really important. And there are so many patents we didn't file because actually we spent a lot of time making, you know, we thought it was the idea that nobody had, but actually when you have a good idea, it's very likely that someone, somebody else had this idea. Yeah. Uh, and so there are some freely available patent database. You need to know a little bit about how patenting works to, to navigate. And then, you know, it's, it's the major resource. Mm -hmm. Is this something that uh, lawyers will do for you as well? Is go out and look at the patent database, or do you need to do that yourself? So I think, I mean, typically VCs sometimes they ask you to have, you know, freedom to operate uh, overview uh, mm -hmm. on your technology. So, if, and and they will not, uh, they will not, they will not believe you. You know, you can say yes, I checked all the literature, and I promise you. <laughs> There's nothing. So in this case, you know, you will go to um, uh, some, some lawyer and they will make the FTO for you, the, the search for you, and they will... Then I think for us, we decided to, to, to get the, uh, the, the IP and the head of IP in internally because our knowledge is so... Uh, and, and our know-how, our strategy, and, and what we're developing is so new that um, we wanted to, to... All the work and, and the knowledge she was generated uh, and she's still generated, we wanted to keep in, inside and want to keep this knowledge. If we work with a firm on the side, I think it's great to start, but as soon as possible, I think it's, it's, it's important to get, if your business is, is dependent on IP, to get the IP, uh, the IP uh, 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 typically you know, if you're in a platform space, or to get the IP uh, uh, um, uh, role internalized. Um, because it's so complex and I can go talk to her, she can really understand our business. You know, if you go to a lawyer, someone, a consultant, they have thousands of clients. Right. And so getting, so you can have them, I think, for very specific points. You know, we're on the phage world, so uh, we know that there are a few lawyers out there that have written patents, uh, most of the phage patents. So we go to see them if we have very specific points. But for all the technology we're developing in-house, we really want to have someone in-house that has this whole knowledge and it's his full-time job. I think it's students as well. So quite early on, we encourage our, our postgrads to actually go and, and look at patent searches, you know, patent databases, you know, mm -hmm. see what is actually out there. And I think that too often that is missed in the, you know, in the pro proposal writing stage of a master's or PhD is actually going to search free patent da databases, yeah. Yeah. you know. So be savvy, take your head out of the sand. <laughs> yeah. Even not as an entrepreneur, I have one scientific finding that was never, uh, it, it, it plays into us, it was never reported in the paper. Uh, it is only written in a patent and then like actually there came a lot of follow-up <laughs> papers that made a structure of that protein whatever but the original thing is just in a patent so yeah, it's yeah. yeah it's really worth uh, even as a pure scientist to to start looking more into patents you don't have to read the whole thing uh, you know <laughs> companies don't often publish until you know they're and yeah. so all their data and discoveries are in patents yep. So there's a lot of information in there that oh, you might miss so in the literature. Especially for your competitors and your competitors. Mm -hmm. You should yes. put a search, uh, <laughs> an alarm, you know, every time a competitor patent comes up. Because there is so much information about what they're doing yeah. in the patents. That's a good point. So you, you, can, you can set an alert for when a patent comes through from yes, yes. certain and companies. You have different tools uh, that are available. Uh, but I mean, no, anyway, I think uh, regularly you should, when you when you are still, you know, a small company, you, you do it. I mean, you, you you should be aware of that and not look on the other websites of your competitors. Go check in the patent database. Right. Right. So, Bernie, you touched on on something about getting provisional IPs, um, and I it made me think: how important is that provisional IP or or the full IP for VC investors? Uh, are they going to ask you about that? Yeah, so the first one is do you have some? And then as uh, Xavier pointed out, they're going to make a freedom to operate it. It doesn't help you, like it's, there's a big price tag on such a freedom to operate if they do it with the law firm. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's nothing more uh, satisfactory, at least for me as a scientist, when then the thing comes back and says, we didn't find anything. And said, I told you so. No, but of course, you, you it, so it. it's very fundamental for them and also that it does not infringe others. And uh, for, for serious investment, unless you have a business model which will not depend on it, but if you depend on the protection, then yes. Uh, the weird thing in, in drug, I mean, I've been hearing this from a few much uh, further along uh, CEOs that are developing drugs and say, yeah, patents are so important. At the beginning, the VCs ask for all these patents, but then, you know, once you're in a clinic 
who cares about patent? If you save someone and your drug works, then if you have problems, there is always litigation and you'll find a way and people will, 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 make, you know, will, will make deals between farmers and whoever is infringing on what. And then we don't care about the patent. Nobody uh, will make your drug that works and saves lives off the market uh, because uh, you're infringing. Right. So I think it's a bit uh, of a hype at one point. It's really important. You need to patent a lot. And it's a bit, uh, we have to be careful with, I think, uh, yeah. doing it's this. It's like, you know, um, great, like your high school grades. They're really important to get into university. But once you're in university, right. like, no one will ever give a shit. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So it's like that. <laughs> so in the last few minutes, I, I wanted to kind of circle back around to what we started talking about at the beginning, which was uh, whether somebody who wants to become an entrepreneur needs to know everything. So they, they don't. They can bring in partners. But what I wanted to touch on is what should they be thinking about when they bring in partners? What are some of the, the pitfalls that, that might happen? How do you look for partners? How do you find the right person? Um, so Janice, maybe I can start with you. you know, how do you talk to your students about thinking about where their deficits are and how they might bring in that expertise into a company? Sure. Okay, well, just very briefly, um, several years ago, I. I, I had this idea that we needed a science magazine in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And so I, I contacted all my journalism friends because I was still at, uh, doing a postdoc at university and they said, no, 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 you should do it. I'm like, but I didn't know anything about journalism. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, eventually I, I did it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I felt um, at the time that not knowing was probably to my advantage was not knowing everything mm -hmm. and just jumping straight in in a lean startup approach. Um, I was able to, you know, get the right books <laughs> mm -hmm. to, you know, to understand how to become a, a journalist in a, in, mm -hmm. a, in a couple of couple of weeks time. Mm -hmm. And um, I got a lot of support from journalists once I started. And so once I entered the space and, you know, people came who were, you know, the right kind of people came and found me. Mm -hmm. And that was quite interesting because in the beginning I was looking for those people. So sometimes just jumping in. And that's my message to students is to jump in and then to start looking at those at those people. Um, potential partnerships. Mm -hmm. We, you know, a lot of our research now recently into um, early disease detection for fetal and maternal health has also been supported by UNICEF and having um, our students, um, I've encouraged them to use that as a resource because UNICEF have got unique insight into people's lives mm -hmm. and to, you know, those exist th that existence and experience as well. Mm -hmm. So um, um, there's a huge resp repository there. Mm -hmm. It's it's critical point in, in any uh, team building. I think don't hire. I mean, don't hire or get partner with someone for what for only what they have done, but for what they can do for your company. Mm -hmm. So you know you can have people with beautiful CVs, beautiful resumes, with all these titles, but who will be terrible working in with in a different environment, for instance, right. uh, uh, or accepting that yes, they're coming from this uh, nice, but they're not going to be on the spotlights. Maybe you are going to be on the spotlight. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so. It's all about the potential of people, and I think it's the same way as you hire a partner. Is I mean, any everybody in my company is a partner. You know, whatever their role is, I mean, they're all a partner. We're all in the same adventure, and we always hire them. Okay, for the expertise they have, but mostly for what they can, you know, what the potential they have for the specific role uh, they, they are. And always do your background checks. I mean, it's not because someone is fantastic and he comes and is very good at at, at speaking and say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the best partner. Uh, just always, you know, do a background check. Always get, uh, uh, you know, feedbacks from people who worked with this person uh, uh, within the industry. Because you know, if someone from a totally different industry who was made a great IT business, and you ask only people in the IT business, maybe yes, he's very good at doing just sales, IT sales, but maybe has not the mindset, you know, from the industry. Uh, it will be very. This person will be presented to investors, and so ask the investors if, oh, if I hire this person, what will you think? And say, hey, I mean, this guy has nothing to do in our, in our industry, you know. Or, and so this is really also, I think, important to get feedbacks from. Uh, uh, when you when you hire someone, uh, I mean, you get references. Mm -hmm. I was very lucky at the beginning. I found my co-founders, and like I, I can one hundred percent sure say, without them, I wouldn't be sitting here. Mm -hmm. The startup would not exist anymore. Especially Veronica was uh, really perfect to have this economic drive. Uh, my CEO, and. Um, I agree, for me, very important, what can they do for you? How motivated are they? Uh, do they have the right fit? And then they need to be motivated to, to drive it forward. And 
I really like this, this network, this incubator space a little bit. I, there's also many examples of bad incubators. Uh, like, uh, but like I was very lucky in, in, in Startup Chile. We didn't then necessarily get the people for the skills, but it was also a little bit of a skills trading market. You know, the one guy was at Techstars and he explained you about evaluation and return you, you know, you were explaining something different. Uh, and, and it was really amazing there. And also now in the, in the J-Labs in Belgium, where we are located, we have this trade-off and through, through the network, there we can find individual skills. It's not necessarily team members there straight away, but like we have access to the Janssen Seniors Network. So that's retired people that worked for Janssen Pharmaceutica. And you know, sometimes they're a bit bored and you say, hey, we have here this thing. You know, don't you want to work with us for a little bit? And then and you can have access or you find through then other people in your other biotech companies that are with you in the same incubator. You go, hey, we need someone who helps us with BD deals. We're a bit overwhelmed here. We need someone with experience that, that can lead this negotiations. And then, hey, I have this cool guy. He actually has, or girl, uh, uh, that has some space at the moment. Sometimes it doesn't work that you find, but I think networks are, are a fundamental part as well, because there you get these references as well. Like someone is good. Never get, you know, I mean, never, uh, um, if you only, if you only, uh, these resources are really rare. Right person, right team members, right. I mean, these, these roles are really rare because you want the best. So never accept something that is not what you're aiming for. I think, you know, you might have, because in some environment, there are for everybody, everyone, even for, I mean, for, you know, where, whatever ecosystem, even the best ecosystem, there is so much competition that you have a lot of them, but they're even right. rarer. And so don't get the first one that, you know, don't desperate if you get someone that you think is not the best, is not really great, but, you know, you really need someone who's going to do the job. I think this is the, t the worst idea to say, okay, I settle down for something which is not really what I want and I, I, I don't think it's going to be the best, but I hope so. so in the long so run, not worth it. No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's great. Tricky trade-off. So that's why you yeah. just simply outsource the task until you yeah. have someone then right. that fits. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. why you always hire too late because actually it takes much longer. So you need to do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Again, yeah. we are back, not only the yeah. negotiations, also the hiring is true. Right. It takes yeah. a lot longer. I always yeah. imagine that yeah. would be like... <laughs> yeah. so now finding the right people is, is, is tricky. Um, but unfortunately, we're out of time, so we're going to have to end there. Um, so uh, I wanted to thank our, our panel so much for being with us today. Um, really fantastic discussion. Uh, Dr. Xavier Deportin. Um, Dr. Janice Limson uh, from Rhodes uh, University and uh, Dr. Bernhard Petzold from uh, S Biomedic. Thank you so much. Uh, please look out for more webinars in this series available at webinar.sciencemag.org. Uh, again, thank you so much to our panel for being here and uh, thank you to Foundation Ibsen for their kind sponsorship of today's discussion uh, and goodbye. Thank you so much. Thank you. Fantastic.